Yeah, the last month here. It's uh, actually that's what I wanted to talk about this morning, and uh, this this uh, this move that we're making. And um, for some of you who may be here for the first time, it's going to be kind of a non-standard message this morning because. I heard that some people were having a little bit of a hard time with the move, and so I was just wondering about that. I was wondering how everybody was going to deal with the change and, and deal with, after nine years of being here, uh, what it was going to be like to, to actually pick up and go to a new home. And so a few people are stressing. I was hearing, hearing through the grapevine. Nobody would tell me, of course, but, uh, but I did hear about it. So I thought maybe this would be a good time this Sunday to just kind of talk through a few things and kind of come to grips with with what change does to us. You know, change always has some sort of effect on us. And so what's the effect, and, and what is it that we're really uh, trying to accomplish here? Um, starting out in left field and coming back in, I had a car. Everybody used to have one of those cars that you remember and you loved. I bought a car for $50 back in uh, 19, I think it was 77 or 76, when I was in college in Chicago, it was a 67 Impala. Anyone remember what a 67 Impala looks like? It's got the wheelbase of a Winnebago, you know, and it's about as long as a small boat. And this one was white, and it had one of those uh, black vinyl roofs like we used to do back in, the, back in the day. And since it was a Chicago vehicle and I bought it for 50 bucks, it was all rusted out on the bottom, and it was just horrible looking. It was this terrible looking thing. Black, uh, you know some kind of interior, I don't know. But I love that car. You know, that was my car. You know, I got it for 50 bucks. And I had so many memories in that car. You know, I was, you know, I was from here. My parents were living in Santa Barbara at the time. And I was cross country back and forth between Santa Barbara and Chicago with trips all over the place to visit people from the musical tour I was in a few years before. And that car was my car, you know, I can't tell you how many times we were on the open highway. And, of course, I never had any money, so I was always buying retreads on the thing. Have you ever bought a retread? They tend to come off the same way. You know, the whole tread, just you see it down in your rearview mirror flopping down the highway, and then you've got to go in and get another retread. But uh, so many things happened in that car, and, and it, it just kind of connected me. To, to the machine somehow. I remember driving into um, Las Vegas and I actually got heat stroke because the car was overheating so bad I had to stop at every single gas station, open up the top, and it's 120 anyway, and then everything hits me in the, from the engine, pour in more water, drive to the next gas station, do the same thing again. By the time I actually got into town, I was, I was done for. I never had that before, but it was just a crazy experience. I remember uh, driving across northern Arkansas. It was just so beautiful driving across northern Arkansas. It was the first time that I got the sense that the highway was actually just a ribbon laid down over these hills. You could see it just kind of move out into the distance. And I'm driving down this highway, and all of a sudden I see this tortoise. I kid you not. I didn't know they had tortoises in northern Arkansas. But here's this tortoise. He's just coming up. He had crossed the other side and was right about at the, at the median point. And you got to picture this, you know, tortoise, he's going like this, but his neck is stuck out like this, and he's trying to go as fast as he can, you know, and, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this guy's not going to make it. I look in my rear view mirror, and there's an 18-wheeler behind me, you know, so I miss him, and I didn't even want to look to see what happened, but I remember that, just that scene out that windshield of that 67 Impala till the day I die. 
in Santa Barbara, I got pulled over by the cops. They thought I stole the car because they couldn't, you know, get the registration or something. They had me actually handcuffed, you know, made me open the trunk, stood back with their hands on their guns and handcuffed me until they finally got a hold of uh, the person who sold me the car in Chicago who said, yes, I really did sell it to them. Um, one trip coming back home, I was just a couple miles from home in Santa Barbara, fell asleep and rear-ended an 18-wheeler. And uh, he came out and said, you're going to have to hit me a lot harder than that to make any difference to me, you know. But it made a big difference to the front corner of my impala, I'll tell you that. You know, there was, it was just so many things. I actually changed the starter. The only thing I've ever done besides change oil on a car, I was actually able to change the starter. I got one of those big books on how to, you know. And, of course, those days, the engine sat inside the car. You could actually get in there and walk around it, you know. And everything was accessible, and but... It was amazing. I changed it and it worked. I was like totally amazed. All of these things happened in this car. And then I was driving to Santa Ana to go to an audition for something that I forget. And almost, there was a lot of smoke coming out at an intersection. And I thought, okay, it's overheating again. And then I saw the flames through the, the crack in the hood. And so I grabbed everything I could and jumped out. And I don't know, within five minutes, I don't know who called it. The, the fire department was there. And they were shooting, you know, under the wheel wells and through the grill, the uh, fire extinguisher. But when they opened the hood, the flame shot up about 10 feet and they had to hose that off. And that was the end of my Impala. <laughs> they towed her away. I don't know what ride I got to wherever I needed to go. But what I do remember is going back to the tow yard and just handing over the title to pay for the towing fees. And as I was driving away, there's my car sitting there. And I'm telling you, you know, it really was emotional for me to be driving away and watching my friend just fading off in the rear view like that. It's, it's interesting how we as human beings apply our emotions to places and things. We do that. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, it makes us real. It, it, it's, it's somehow is an endearing trait that we do, that we connect things this way, attaching to places and things. And here we are saying goodbye to this room, this place that we've been in here for, for nine years now. And for some of us, you've been here since almost the beginning, or you've been here for half that time, six, seven, eight years. There's a lot of memories. There is a lot of connection here that, that, we're dealing with. So this whole thing is really bittersweet. You know, I don't think it's completely sunk in for me yet that this, this move is happening. I mean, I know it and it's starting to get more and more real as we, as we move forward, as we do more things that Frank was talking about in terms of preparing for the move. But emotionally, I don't think it's, it's completely sunk in. So many memories. I mean, we were young when we got here. <laughs> Or at least it seems so as we look back on it, you know. Our, our 21-year-old son was only 12. Our 13-year-old son was four. And I still remember him running around in here as we were building out the stage and, and doing all the things that we do. We've had so many couples married here. You know, some of them brought in the, the archway of flowers. And, and we've had a lot of people laid to rest here. Many memorial services, in fact, too many memorial services, because as a recovery community, especially when we started, there was a lot of young people who had their memorial services here because they overdosed. And I can close my eyes and I can still remember those as well. I can remember this place, you know, 
in the throes of all that emotional upheaval for a life that was cut short too quickly. We've had baptisms, we've had barbecues, and we've had all these Christmases and Good Friday services. Good Friday services were always my my favorite. And this room, if you've never been in this room at night, please come on Friday before we box this thing up because this room at night, it just it just changes completely. The lights, the way it just creates this sort of ambient glow, especially with the Christmas tree up. It just transforms. It feels more like a club than it does a, a church, which I've always really liked about this room. So as I sit here and as I've been trying to drink in as much as I can about this room before we go. It's kind of like in those movies, you know, where the flashback sort of superimposes over the present moment and you see the past kind of connected. It's, it's like that. I can see old friends that kind of coming through and I remember times when they were here. Friends that have moved on, friends that have actually died. Our co-founder, Jeff, Jeff Jones, his presence is still really thick here, really strong here. I can remember so much of, of him here in this space, you know, the way he used to just decorate. He had a weird sense of decoration, but he used to decorate everything, and he loved it. You know, he'd come here early. It was kind of his meditation time. He'd burn stinky incense and, and just decorate things. But he's left a mark here. He's left a presence here. And, of course, our friend Lenny, who died two years ago, his presence is still here. We were just talking about that last Wednesday. He always used to bring his two little dogs, tiny little corgi things that were running around. So here's this six-foot-something guy and his two little dogs running around all the time. But those memories are here, superimposed on all of this. It's kind of like at the end of the Gospel of John, where he says, you know, if all the deeds and all the things that Jesus said and did were actually written down in detail... I suppose that the entire world itself could not contain all the books that would have to be written. It's kind of like that for me here. There's so much, and it's all in there, you know, in one way, shape, or form. But we can't really even talk about it all. But it's here. It's part of this. It's part of the emotional connection that certainly I have, and I think a lot of us have, to this particular space. And so even though we know that we've needed to move for a long time for a lot of reasons, this is a real bittersweet thing that we're trying to do. Um, nothing prepares us for the reality of a loss, of a move, of a change. You know, There's going to be a kind of grieving process that we go through as we lose this, this place and move on to another. And even though we're moving on to another, it's just that there are things that we're going to miss here, of course. And... Um, I wondered how the community was going to take it, as we announced. And, of course, we didn't have the choice. We lost our lease here, and so we needed to move. But the opportunity superimposed on that was kind of a no-brainer. But I was wondering how everybody was going to take it. And initially, and for the most part, it's been really positive. You know, everybody feels good about where we're going. And yet there's this undercurrent, this underlying, I don't know if it's an anxiety or a stress or what it is, but in some people... And I know that I'm going to feel it as we get closer to, you know, the end of the year, uh, as the emotions kind of kick in. I'll take every opportunity I can during the day just to come in here when nobody's here and just sit down and just kind of take it all in. 
Just kind of look around at the place. Again, kind of let the ghosts play through and the memories come and, and just pray and just be quiet in this space because it has been a very special space for us. People often say that when they walk into this space, it feels somehow special to them. And I don't know if you've had that experience or not. But they say it feels special. They say it feels warm or it feels like a, a sense of belonging, a sense of connection. you know. Or they'll say it's, it's a sense of the Spirit's presence here in this place. There's always a sense of, well, are we going to lose that when we move to the next place? But what I want to try to get across to you is that it's our people. It's everybody who's poured themselves out in this place. It's the laughter and it's the tears. It's the, the connection, the, the, the human connection. It's everybody who poured out a share in a meeting and became vulnerable and became open and realized that this was a safe place for them to do that. It was those kinds of moments together, collectively. It's all of us coming in here collectively that have sanctified this place. It's not the place itself. It's us. It's the people that sanctify the place. And this is who the effect has always been. The effect has always been about being open, being vulnerable. We describe ourselves as a community of imperfect people in the boat together, rowing in a direction together, supporting each other. There's no artifice. You know, starting from recovery roots, we know that the only way through is going to be vulnerably open, sharing, letting go of the secrets, admitting our powerlessness, admitting that we're not in control. That has sanctified this place. That's our job. And if we do it at the new place, the new place is going to be sanctified as well. It won't be the same. It'll be different, but it will be sanctified. And so as we say goodbye to this funky little room, we realize that the part that we love so much about our community is what we're taking with us. It's portable. We get to, we get to move around with it the way the Israelites moved around with the tent of presence, the tent of meeting. You know? And so all of that here is what we're talking about. This is who we've always been. And so what is it that we're moving into? I thought maybe you would like to, to see a little bit of what we're moving into and just kind of get a visual. And so I've got about 25 photos, and I'm going to walk down here and get the other mic so I can actually see what's going on as well. So, Brandon, I'm going to just sit down here next to Amber. All right. Go ahead and put the first one up, Brandon. Where we're going to be meeting is in San Clemente, and uh, the address is, as you can see, is 1040. It's Calle Negocio. If you know where Pico is and where Lowe's is on Pico, it's, it's right about there. Some people know because of the post office that's there on the Calle Negocio or Family Assistance Ministries. Um, we're right next to that. And also the Friendship Center is there. And what COA is our, is our, our host ministry. We'll be sharing space with COA. And they have two buildings side by side. This is the one, 1040, on the left. And if you were just facing the street, there would be 1050 on the right. And on the left, right here, what you're looking at, this front part of the building, is their administrative offices for the Community Outreach Alliance. And they're really allied with us because they, they work on uh, recovery issues as well. But from a prevention and from a policy perspective, they work a lot with the, with the schools 
to be able to work with kids and to get them to understand the, the, uh, the problem of drugs so that they can avoid drugs in the first place. And we've been working with them for the four or five years that Co has been in existence, which is why um, Pastor Pondo you know, thought this would be a perfect fit. Um, there had been a church at this location for, for about 12 years, but it disbanded a year and a half ago. And he's been wanting to get us in there ever since because he thought this would be the perfect synergy between COAS Outreach Ministry and our faith community and our church. And, of course, our dedication to recovery issues as well. So um, go ahead and hit the next slide. This back part of the building of 1040 is the sanctuary and the common areas and the meeting rooms and everything. So, um, you know, we'll get some signage up there, but this will be one of our entrance doors. And then there's another big double door in the back. Why don't you go ahead and next one? As you walk in those doors, this is what you see. And right now, since this area hasn't been used much in over a year, um, you can see there's a lot of storage going on in there. They got bicycles and they got all kinds of other stuff. So over the next month, it'll be our job to start clearing this out and to start getting the feng shui going and everything that we're going to do and getting some of our artwork out there. This is a shot just from the other angle looking back toward that door. Go ahead and do another one. And through the back entrance, the big double doors, this is the hallway that's looking down to that area. So all of the socializing and everything that we currently do now in our courtyard actually we'll be doing in this interior space. And uh, we'll, we'll make it uh, kind of funky like the effect does because that's what we do and that's who we are. Yeah. So now those doors, go back one more. Um, the, the doors on the side there, I don't know, can you go back? Uh, the doors on the side there, there's two sets of double doors that go into the sanctuary on the left. And then the door, double doors on the right go into the main meeting room, which is where most of our 12-step meetings will, will be um, performed or conducted there. And then there's a couple of monitors up there that are supposed to be closed circuit and will um, you know, just display what is going on inside the sanctuary. And so it's kind of an overflow or uh, if, if uh, kids are crying that someone can come out and we'll get some seats out there so that they can still be a part of the, of the service. So now go inside. This is a sanctuary. And uh, it's... Uh, well, I'd say it, not quite twice the size of this room, but it can hold up to about 150. There's obviously not that many chairs in there right now. And that backdrop there with the lit cross is where we have gotten permission to kind of just take this whole thing and put it right there because we, we love our wood and we love our cross. And so uh, we'll kind of transplant that there and uh, make that ours. Um, Y'all can see that, that Dave is going to be behind a glass partition now which is probably a good thing to cage him up. But, uh, yeah, we're not sure we're going to use it, but we're going to try it and see how it works. Go ahead and go to the next one. <laughs> yeah, just another angle on the, on the sanctuary with, with the drum cage in the corner there. And then another, the next one will show us the uh, looking back at the back of the room. So there's actually a real sound booth that's in the center of the room, so hopefully that will help us to to get the kind of sound we're looking for. And if any of you know me, we're going to have to get some dimmers on those lights. No, just do that. This is looking into the, the group room uh, where the 
where the kids, the youth will be meeting in our 12-step rooms. This room itself is larger than the footprint of this whole main room here. So it'll easily hold all the meetings that we have, even the large ones that are you know, between 80 and 90 folks coming in. And again, it's, it's a big storage area right now, so all that's going to be cleaned up. And they're also going to be um, tearing out the carpet and putting that uh, kind of wood tile thing throughout there. So that's going to go through there and the other meeting rooms and even into the bathrooms and some of the other common areas as well. So it'll look, it'll look pretty nice. Go ahead and flip to the next one. This is a, another small meeting room that they have. And this is probably going to be perfect for, say, Scott's Bible study on Sunday mornings. And then um, the next one is the other side of that room, which is also a, a conference room. So I have a conference table there as well. And the next slide is the middle room that is a classroom. It will be a classroom. So there'll be actually three rows of tables and chairs with computers and a smart screen at the front so actual classes can be had. They're going to be building a Thrive, what they call Thrive Alive class, which will be court-mandated for teens who have gotten caught in um, some kind of drug trouble. And instead of going off to a you know, some kind of treatment center in, in Idaho where they capture you for six months. They can go here during the week and during the school week and, and get um, material that they need and court approved. And actually, I think Nina's going to be working with Pondo on that project. So that'll be held in this room here, but it can also be used for other purposes as well where you need this kind of setup. Next, we have a food prep room. We can actually prepare food. There's no... Um, it's not a kitchen, there's no oven or anything, but uh, food prep and the commercial refrigerator and storage that we can use and share as well. And the next one is just another angle on that with all of the uh, coffee makers. So we'll have to figure out how we're going to do the coffee. And we've got a lot of details to work out from hospitality and, and, and sound and audio and all of that. But it's nice to have this kind of space. And of course, the all-important restrooms, they are there. <laughs> You don't have to worry about that. And they're, they're actually, um, you know, big boy and girl restrooms, you know, with the stalls and everything. So won't that be fun? Now, this is the other side. So you are looking at the, uh, the left side building. This is the right side building, 1050. And this houses um, COA or TLC, Telega Life uh, Ministries um, Preschool. And so the preschool is their main source of revenue. There's 72 kids that are there from 8.30 to 11.30 in the morning. And, um, and it's a really well-designed preschool. And we'll be able to use the two, uh, two of the joining classrooms. Go ahead and hit the next image there, buddy. So these are um, one of the classrooms. And you notice the door on the left-hand side is actually a joining door to the other classroom that we'll be using. So we'll have two classrooms side-by-side side with an adjoining door. And you notice in the back there, there is a restroom. Uh, child-sized restroom. So that'll be great for our kids to have this kind of facility. Here's the other room that uh, is adjoining and also has the restroom in the back. Just really well-appointed rooms. And that light coming in the window on the left is actually looking out onto an outdoor play area, which will be great for our kids. They've never had that. And uh, I've got a couple more shots of this just to show you. It's a really large area out there, completely gated, with that uh, kind of uh, stuff over the chain link so the kids are safe and enclosed. And that door right there under the TLC banner is what goes right into the classrooms that you just saw. And then finally, 
in the back side of the building is what they call the venue. And the venue is a large, um, about 350 seat capacity, um, just venue, place where we can have uh, banquets and larger events and so on and so forth. You've got the stage and the lights and the sound. And there's a couple more shots of that as well. And so there'll be a master calendar. Um, our calendar is dedicated, and there's about 30 hours a week that we do um, that is dedicated to us. And then they have their master calendar, and we'll just merge the two. We've been working on that already. And then beyond that, if there are special events and things that we want to do, we just need to, to schedule those events. And so uh, I just wanted to stop and see if there are any questions at all um, about the, the facility or anything that you see there, anything that you wanted to, to ask about? I guess it's all kind of self-explanatory. Yes, dear? Probably a silly question. When you talk about replacing the carpet, is there going to be carpet in the sanctuary or are they going to put the lemon in there? Nope, there'll still be carpet in the sanctuary. Yeah, so that one's going to stay. Yeah? During the week, In, yes, no, uh, probably not in this meeting. It'll, we'll all be in the, the big group room on the other side. Uh, I just mean like, like HA like meets in there right now, but HA will be leaving at the first of the year. So they're, they're moving to another event, uh, another venue. But yeah, this will still be available. And if we have larger um, meetings or, or even want to do banquets or something, you know, that, that's available for that and it can be scheduled. But uh, And uh, Naranan already meets there, and uh, they're actually going to be meeting in this room to kind of clear up the other side because we, it's all on Wednesday night. We already have a large AA meeting, an Al-Anon meeting, and a book study, and an Enneagram meeting, and they had Naranan at the same night. So they're going to move Naranan over to the other side to kind of clear up our side. So, you know, the both buildings will be used as needed as we go through. Yeah. Um. Introducing myself. My name's Jim, and, and I'm an alcoholic. Oh, good. Yeah. And, and I, I attend meetings in this room, so I know, you know, from a different perspective, I, I know what you're talking about. The, uh, you know, the feeling. Um, this is a safe room for me. It's a room where I've made a lot of friendships, um, attending meetings. I'm in here on Friday mornings and Wednesdays at noon. And, and I'm always kind of buzzing around here, something to do, and Sunday afternoons. So I, I, I know uh, what it feels like to, even though this is a, you know, it's just a, it's just a room, but it's not just a room, you know. I think when you, when you, when you live life in a place, and you make a lot of changes, and it, it really does just become a part of the whole experience. Um, and I can tell you this, when, when Judy and I, we've lived in California for two years now, a little over, and I remember sitting in a meeting, newly after coming to California, and I raised my hand the way we do in meetings, and I shared and I said, you know, I, I don't like change and I don't like how I'm feeling. <laughs> and it's kind of a, you know, that's this. That's, if you stay there, you're between a hard spot and a rock, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it, it, that's not the way to get better. You know, to take that position. I don't like where it, you know, I don't like how this feels. And uh, so I know I've, I, I've learned to press into um, how I feel and what's going on for me at the moment. And I have enough um, enough 
positive experience to know that things will get better. You know, from how I'm feeling at that moment. So, you know, my my share is a little. When you were talking about the feelings of change, I was kind of hoping you would have asked, "Is anybody feeling anything?" You know, and I would have raised my hand then. So I'm kind of on the on the tail. End. Is anybody feeling anything right now? <laughs> there you go. It's not too late. It's never too late. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and he's right. You know, this is a different kind of space. It's not the usual space. It was, it was what was available and what we could afford nine years ago, obviously. But it's a different kind of space, and it's very small. And there's no way to add on to it. We have asked repeatedly, can we put lanai doors on the front or French doors to try to bring the outside in? We've tried every way we could, and we've known for years that we needed to move in order to grow. But we also needed to grow in order to move. We didn't have the finances to be able to to, to move to another space. So to have this opportunity, right at the moment we're getting kicked out anyway, to move into the space, share this space with with COA Ministries uh, has been just an amazing thing, Uh, you know, just a juxtaposition here. Something that's an ouch for us financially, it's going to stretch us, it's going to double our rent here, but it's, it's doable, we think, especially as we grow into the space. And with the fundraiser that we just had, and we want to thank you all for that, we hit our goal of of 30,000, we I think finally raised about 33,000, which will really help us with the transition. We have one major um, donor who's going to match that and help us into 2018. So we've got a good start to be able to handle the extra financial burden, uh, but now we have the space to actually grow, and it's up to us now to to work on that and and do that. But um, any other questions about the space? Yeah, go ahead, Kathleen. Right. And, you know, it's unfortunate that, that we, we tend to measure the su- success of a ministry by how many people are in the room. I mean, it's inevitable that we do that psychologically, but that's really not the measure of, of an effective ministry. We knew that this ministry was going to be small because of the message that we're carrying here. You know, it's, it's a message where we are responsible. We're the ones that have to engage. We're the ones that have to be willing to move into that place of, of disorientation before we can ascend out to the other side. That's not a real popular message. We get that. You know, that being said, we know that we need to grow to the point that we're at least self-sufficient on a month-to-month basis. We, we've been truly dependent on outside donors to keep us going, and we want to broaden our base just so we can be healthier as well, a more heterogeneous group, more 
hopefully age you know, groups represented and, and all of that, so that it's a healthy, good community. But we don't really want to get that large. We don't see ourselves ever getting larger than, say, 200 or 250, because after that, you lose the sense of connection. You can't have relationships with more than that. It's just not possible. But then beyond that 250 that we have in our physical footprint, we would love to be able to get the word out more through digital means and online and print and video in different ways. So the message that we believe that people need, the message that we believe is what Christianity is emerging into as it moves into succeeding generations is what we hope to be on the, on the vanguard, the forefront of as we move forward. And we do want to get that message out. But if we're not practicing it, in terms of really being in community with our own people, then it, the, the whole message gets lost and it gets subverted. So we know that. But this gives us that opportunity to take that, that next step and, and see where we can go. You know, we've been talking about growth and feeling shelved off from that for years. Well, now we've got the space, so if we don't grow, I guess we've got no one left to blame. <laughs> we're going to have to deal with it, but that's going to be something that we're going to want to do but not at the expense of the message, not at the expense of the integrity of who we are and what we believe, because if we lose that, then we lose our reason for existence in the first place. Yeah. Juan! Yes, um, will there be times where the building is open to be visited before the time comes to be there? Might be easy to transition and just go over and wander around and see people in the building at different times? If I tell you to go by that, finding it was tricky the first time, mm-hmm. it's a newer one, no problem, but finding it the first time is a little tricky, so it'd be nice to be able to go there without any pressure, kind of get to service or meeting, whatever, and just have like an open house or something like that, or get any plans for Didn't have a plan for an open house. Um, we took the staff over last um, Sunday. Uh, just so they can see it and start to get a handle on what we need to do in terms of all of the logistics and all of that. Um, I can tell you that the the um, the building, our building, 1040, is always open between 8 and, and say, 3, um, reliably. So if you just wanted to go over and just walk in, and when someone stops you and says, what the heck are you doing here, you tell them you're with the effect, and, and they'll, they'll let you just kind of wander through. If you want to do that on your own, I know several people have just driven by and looked at the outside and seen that. Maybe we can schedule a Sunday here, um, maybe next Sunday. Monday through Friday, yes, exactly. I'm thinking, we have, do we have two Sundays before Christmas? Yeah, two more, right? So maybe, um, yeah, maybe next Sunday or Sunday after, we'll, we'll let you know. We'll take another trip down, and anyone who wants to go down there, you know, we'll, we can do the, the more guided tour. But, um, you know, feel free to go down there. Of course, we're going to have flyers, and we'll have addresses and, and a map and everything. Like, like Vaughn says, once you've been there, it's really easy to get to. Uh, it's just that it's a little difficult, I guess, to explain. But, uh, yeah, we can, we can do something like that. <laughs> uh, you have to know, Nina's Palestinian, so, you know, everything is about hospitality. It just has to happen. There's got to be food. Got to be food. Yeah. Anything else? Any other questions, comments? How are you feeling out there? Yeah. All right. Well, then, before I finish... I figure we have to have some kind of a little bit of a message here, you know. And since we're talking about change, I was thinking about where is there examples of clear-cut change in, in the scripture? You know, where is someone hit with a change in life that they're having to deal with? And since we're heading into Christmas anyway, I thought, oh, it's perfect. Let's take a look at Luke 1, right at verse 26. 
And this is Mary. And this has always been an amazing passage if you really stop and think about what's going on here. And I want you to think about the fact that Mary, being betrothed to Joseph in that culture, she would have been 12 or 13 years old. 12 or 13 years old was the age at which girls were betrothed into marriage. We always think of Mary as being older. We always think of her as being an adult. I mean, in that culture, you know, she was functioning as adult or was going to soon be, but she was 12 or 13. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel visits her. The sixth month of what? The sixth month of her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy. So that was a miraculous pregnancy in and of itself because they were really old, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And there was, you know, uh, what's the word? Prophesied to them that they were going to have this baby. And of course, they didn't believe it. And he struck dumb because he didn't believe, kind of along the lines of Abram and and, uh, Sarai. But she gets pregnant. She's six months pregnant. And the angel Gabriel comes, was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. If you understand the Jewish wedding ceremony, a betrothal was the first thing that happened. These were arranged marriages. Mary probably hadn't even met Joseph or maybe knew him peripherally. He was probably older. He may have been married before. He could have been a widower. There could be a lot of of situations here that we don't know. But on the betrothal, it was as if they were married, even though the marriage was not consummated at the betrothal. And the the wedding ceremony, the Nisuin, may not happen for one to two years. She was in that period between the betrothal and the marriage. And there was no contact, no sexual contact, whatever in that period. In fact, the reason that they put the the time period between the betrothal and the marriage was to make sure that whatever child was born out of that union was that couple's and not somebody else's. You know, when you don't have DNA testing, how can you make sure that this baby is really mine? You wait more than nine months before you consummate the marriage. That's how you do it. And so that was, was part of what was in the culture here. And so she knows. She's a virgin. She knows there's not going to be any sexual contact for another year, possibly two, in terms of her actually finishing the, the marriage ceremony with Joseph. How is this possible? How is this going to work? What's going on here? And then he tells her this whole, this whole paragraph. And she's, it's got to be blowing her mind. She's the poorest of the poor. 
She's from Nazareth, which is the back of beyond. Remember when Nathaniel hears about Jesus from Nazareth, what does he say? Can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, it was the back of the other side of the tracks. Mary is from there. How in the world does this happen? Both physically, socially, spiritually. And Mary says, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. In other words, she's submitting. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. A 12 or 13 year old girl has the presence of mind to do something like this. I couldn't do that. Could you do that? I mean, think about it. Think about what she was presented with at that moment. At that moment, as if her world wasn't changing enough. For a young girl of that age who's known nothing except her family to suddenly be be betrothed to a man that she barely knows, you know, who could be 10, 15, 20 years older than she is, who is going to take her away to another home that may be remote from her own. If that isn't enough change, now you're going to have this baby and this baby is going to be this kind of figure in the national consciousness. How How do you deal with that? And she does. She submits. Okay. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. I will do as you instruct. And yet her whole world is changing. Spiritually, she's having to deal with the impossible physical situation. You know, she, I don't know. What do you do? You just put that aside? Okay. I mean, let's, let's see what happens. Because everything I know about physics and biology, this doesn't compute. This isn't going to work. And so she's presented with something that only faith can accept. Only faith. There's no rational approach to this. There's nothing you can figure out. There's nothing that you can even hope to think that you can form the illusion of any kind of control. She just has to accept on faith and see where this all leads. She's hit with a social change, right? She could lose her husband over this. To be pregnant in that period when everybody knows that the husband and the wife has not had any sexual contact, she could lose her husband, she could lose her reputation. Literally, under the law, she could be stoned. She could be killed. It was a capital offense. She's all hit with that at the same time, too. And then, relationally, her life is never going to be the same. If she thought it was radically going to change before, how is it going to change now? All of that, in one gulp, to a 12 or 13-year-old girl, change. She's set on an adventure. She's set on a journey that is full of risk, full of unknowns. You know. But it also is promising incredible reward at the same time. How do you balance those two? The risk and the reward. The sense of impossibility of a certain task with what may be coming at the other side of it. And the outcome, of course, is never set. In fact, the outcome is not really even promised in most of the changes that we are presented with in life. We get the change. It's moving us in a new direction. It feels risky putting our feet down every step. How do we handle that? How do we deal with that? With Mary, it was an act of total submission to just say, yes, I am your bondservant. I am your handmaiden. 
Sometimes that's all we can do. In a situation like we're going through, there's some similarities. Of course, it's on a much smaller scale. We can retain some level of control, we think, right? We can try to control the budget. We can try to control the logistics. We can take the move. We can negotiate this and negotiate that and try to do the things that we can as we negotiate through this and navigate through this. But the truth of the matter is we really don't have control of outcome. Some of this just has to be accepted. And as some of you have have, uh, told me personally and kind of as Jim was talking about earlier, it's a matter of just stepping out and taking the adventure. We're presented with an adventure here. The adventure part is that we don't know how it's going to come out. Otherwise, it would just be an itinerary, right? (laughs) But we're presented with an adventure. As scary as it is to answer this call, as scary as it is to move out into a place of this kind of radical change, it's far riskier to ignore the call, not to take the step forward, to stay back in the safe place, the familiar place, the place from which there is no growth, there is no movement forward. As we said in here many times, change doesn't hurt. Not really. Resistance to change is excruciating. Can we flow with the change? Can we move with the direction that the Spirit is blowing? Accept the risk as it appears and just enjoy the ride. You know, this has been difficult for me at times, but I am gearing up to just enjoying the ride, to throw myself into it just like I throw myself into music each morning and just see where it goes, see where it lands. And with all of us together doing the same thing, this can be a heck of a lot of fun. And that's what I'm looking forward to. And beyond that, ready or not, here we go. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, I think it's just so good to be in the middle of the stream, to feel like there's movement, to feel like something larger than ourselves has reached into our lives and directed our path, which is exactly how it feels in this particular passage of our ministry and community. So thank you for that. Thank you for putting us into the middle of the stream. Thank you for the sense of movement. Thank you for the confluence of events that made the decision easy, even if the change is still difficult for us. Help us to overcome the difficulties. Help us to overcome the the stress or the anxiety or the fear of the unknown and just enjoy the unknown. Enjoy the twists and turns. Enjoy not knowing how it's all going to work out. But at the same time, to work hard to recreate our community as we've always known it, with the kind of intimacy and vulnerability and transparency that has been who we are all these years. And we thank you for every single person who has made this community what it is. And we ask that you would be with us in the transference, in the movement forward, so that we never lose touch with you or the reason that we're here. Thank you, Father, so much for your love and guidance. Thank you for loving us before we could ever love in return. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.